The following message entitled, A Wise View of Wealth, Part 10 of the series, Real Life Wisdom, was given by Bob Mundorf on November 3, 2013 at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Well, good morning. Welcome. Well, this week we've, we've hit the last message in our, our series on Proverbs called Real Life Wisdom, and this has been a really practical book. It really gets down to where the rubber meets the road, and I've, I've grown through that. I've, I think we've, we've all gained wisdom through that, the practical nature of this book. And today, we're going to reflect on another area that I think touches all of our lives, and that area is money. You might think, uh-oh, the preacher's talking about money. Guests, visitors that have come for the first time are, are probably nudging each other, saying, I told you he was going to talk about money. He was just going to want our money. That's all these preachers and churches want. And, and depending on your background or your experiences, uh, I know that that can be a sensitive issue. I know that my, my antenna is tuned into that radar as well. Because we've seen all kinds of abuses of, of preachers who just want money. I watched some specials this week on preachers who are, are just taking in excessive amounts of money and living far above what I believe God would have them. And I just want to comfort you. That's, that's not where we're going with this. We don't want your money. But we never want to let abuses of any doctrinal issue dictate whether we do or we don't talk about it. We always want to look into God's Word and see what He says about an issue, regardless of whether that issue's been abused by certain churches. So that's what we're going to do today. The title of this message is A Wise View of Wealth. And the outline or the plan for this morning is just to hit three simple points, and that is that we're going to First, build a foundational principle that all financial wisdom is built upon. The foundation for financial wisdom. If we could get these points up, then the second thing we're going to talk about this morning is God's way for getting wealth. What does God say in His Word about getting wealth? And the last thing we're going to talk about is what the Bible tells us to do with the wealth that God blesses us with. So let's pray and ask God for His help this morning. Well, Father, we, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we are fully dependent upon Jesus for any good thing. Lord, you've, you've said in your word that we can do nothing apart from you. We can bear no fruit apart from you, Jesus. So we pray that this message, the truths in the, this message would be just rooted in your word, Lord, and that you would help us, Lord, to, to make changes if we need to make changes, but Give us a, a right view, a wise view of wealth this morning from your word. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first point is the foundation for financial wisdom. And this is essential. A foundation, you know, is, is the basis for something. It is the foundation of a house is the structure on which that house is built. 
And without a firm foundation, whatever we talk about, whatever we build on that will, will fall. So we need to have a firm, strong, biblical basis for financial wisdom. And that is that God owns everything. That's the foundation for financial wisdom. That's the first layer in this foundation. God owns everything. So even before we begin to build the financial framework from the book of Proverbs for how God wants us to get wealth or use wealth, let's take a look at a few verses. Let's, let's go outside of the book of Proverbs and, and dig up some of these really strong foundational stones that we need to base our view of wealth on. The first one comes from Psalm 24.1. Psalm 24.1. And here we, we uncover a really, really big block, a foundation block that we need to stand on and build everything else on. And that is, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Now, there's no secret meaning behind the Hebrew of the word everything in this passage. Everything means everything. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The whole earth and all of its contents belong to God. This is very important for us to know when we're thinking about all of our possessions and all of our wealth and this building. Everything in the earth belongs to the Lord. We find another big foundation block in the book of Job. Job 41.11. Job 41.11 says, God told this to Job. He said, who has first given to me that I should repay him. Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Everything is God's. So how does this foundational truth that everything belongs to God change the way we think about wealth? How does this change things for us? Well, for one thing, this means that, that your house, your wallet, your toys, everything is God's. It belongs to Him. And no longer should we ask God the question, when we understand this, we shouldn't ask God the question, God, how do you want me to spend my money? I mean, that, that seems like a pretty good question. But really, it changes to God. What do you want me to do with your money? When we get this truth, that becomes the question. When we get this truth, Every spending decision that we make becomes a spiritual decision because it's God's. It's not our money. It's God's money. And this has been so liberating for many people. Many of us here have been really liberated by this truth. Now, Howard Dayton of Crown Financial Ministries uh, describes a group of people that, that didn't get this. So here's Here's how we shouldn't respond to this truth. He says, When the Crusades were fought during the 12th century, the Crusaders purchased the services of mercenaries to fight for them. Because it was a religious war, the Crusaders insisted that the mercenaries be baptized before fighting. As they were being baptized, the soldiers would take their swords and hold them up out of the water to symbolize that Jesus Christ was not in control of their swords that they retained the freedom to use their weapons in any way they wished. Many people today do a similar thing. 
They hold their wallet or purse out of the water. An attitude that says, God, I yield control of my entire life to you, except in the area of money. I'm perfectly capable of handling that myself. And without realizing it, this attitude hinders their relationship with God. When God, has, when God purchased us, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we were bought with a price. And he purchased everything. And now we're a living sacrifice for him. So this foundational view changes the way we look at things. It also, the second thing it changes is, is who we really are, what our responsibility is. And that is that we are merely stewards of God's money. We're, we're managers of God's money. He has given us responsibility in this, but we're stewards. So God owns it all, first layer. We are stewards, second layer of this foundation that we need to build on. And 1 Corinthians 4.2 in the New Testament tells us, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. That they be found faithful. To be a faithful steward We've got to know what our responsibility is. We've got to know what God wants us to do with his money. And I was thinking about this, and a faithful steward is, is kind of like a postman who gets a package that you want to mail. And he takes that package, and he gets in his, his postal vehicle, and he takes it wherever it needs to go. Now, an unfaithful steward or, or maybe even just a steward who really didn't know what God expected of him, a steward who didn't know what the owner expected of him, would be if that postman took your package and kind of misunderstood and got in his postal Jeep and you saw him going down the road and he's got a big grin on his face and he starts opening it and he just uses it for himself and he takes it home. That wouldn't be a good steward. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to give away every penny that God gives us. But unless it's addressed to us, unless he wants it to be for our needs, then we need to be responsible for what he wants us to do. So we're stewards of God's money. That's the firm foundation that we need to view the rest of what the proverb says about money on. If we get that, we've, we've really got a good start. So the second point in this message is the wise way to get wealth. What does God say about getting wealth in his word? How do we get money? Well, our, our biblical blueprints give us three steps. Be honest, work hard, and trust God. Three biblical steps for getting wealth. Be honest, work hard, and trust God. We're going to look at these instructions one at a time. The first one comes from Proverbs 20, 21, verse 6. Proverbs 21, verse 6. Be honest. It says, the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue. I, I guarantee you that as long as Satan is on the loose in this world, he will always make an opportunity for us to get treasures, get money in a dishonest way. And, and more than likely, if, we are, if we've fallen on hard times, if we're having trouble making ends meet, if we're 
just really struggling financially. Well, he's like that lion that goes, over the, goes after the weak gazelle. He, he's going to come after us at those times. He's going to make a bigger opportunity at those times for us to get treasures dishonestly by a lying tongue. And so we need to watch for him. We need to be on guard. You know, these, these opportunities could come at whenever it's time to file, file our taxes. We could maybe get some extra wealth if we're not completely honest on our taxes. It could be other smaller things. It could be that you're at the grocery store and the cashier is busy in a hurry and, and she just gives you a lot of extra change. Maybe she should have given you a one and she gives you a 20 and you notice it but you don't say anything about it. That would be getting treasure by a lying tongue. Or if she doesn't charge you for another item that you had on the, on the belt, that would be getting treasure with a lying tongue. So these might seem like, some of these might seem like minor things to some of us. But we need to remember what Jesus said in the book of Luke when he was, he was telling a story about an unfaithful steward in the book of Luke, and he said this, one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. God expects honesty of us all the time in the little things and in the big things. When I, a few years ago, I had a landscaping business, and when I had that business, a lot of my clients were really surprised when I told them that they could pay me with checks and I assume this is because, you know, in, in the trades, um, there's a lot of work that goes on under the table where people only accept cash. And the reason that that happens a lot of times is because you can make a whole lot more money if you just accept cash and you don't claim your income honestly, a whole lot more. So I don't know if the clients that, or the uh, landscapers that they had before me didn't just wanted cash. Uh, but they were really surprised at that. God expects us to be honest in all of our financial dealings. I uh, have a good friend named Jim who's in the tree trimming business. And Jim and, and his wife are good friends of ours, and they're, they're struggling. They're, they're having financial difficulties. They're having a lot of trouble making ends meet. And I, I really believe that that's because, it's not because Jim's lazy. Jim's a hard-working guy. And he's really good at what he does. But he's being honest. He's being honest. He's claiming all of his income. And, and I, I really think there are probably some of his competitors out there who, who aren't. And like I said, you can make a whole lot more money doing that. And it's a temptation for Jim. But he's honoring God with his money. And all those other guys, if there are other guys who aren't doing it the right way, according to this proverb, their riches are fleeting vapors and snares of death. Now, it might look like for, for Jim, or, or maybe for you, it might look like it's time you've got to take things into your own hands. You've got to do it some other way because God's way isn't working. You've tried to be honest. You've tried to file your taxes honestly. You've tried just not working. Well, I, I agree it looks like it's not working. But see, that's, that's where the Bible, that's what the Bible would call walking by sight. 
God wants us to walk by faith. Because God's way always works. God tells us to be honest with our finances. And even if it looks like it's not working for you, it's going to work. It is going to work for you. That's walking by faith. When we take matters into our own hands, we're really saying, God, your way stinks. It, it's, it doesn't work. And we could apply that, that mindset to, to a number of things in the Christian life. We could apply it to anything in the Christian life. When we take it into our own hands and do it our way, because it doesn't seem to be working, that's just telling God, your way stinks. We need to walk by faith when it comes to our finances, as well as every other area in our lives. Now, my friend Jim, he's having a hard time, but I guarantee you he's not going to go hungry because the Proverbs tell us in Proverbs 10.3, the Lord will not let the righteous go hungry. He may not get rich, but I'm sure he's stacking up rewards in heaven because he's honoring God in what he's doing now. The rest of it is just a fleeting vapor. This proverb tells us. Now the second ingredient, the second thing we need to know about getting money God's way is that we need to work hard and work steady. Getting money God's way comes through hard and steady work. Proverbs 14.23 tells us, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. In all toil there is profit. Now, toil means to work hard. And the word here, toil, has also an additional sense. It has a sense of, of continuous and steady, ongoing labor. That's God's way for us to get wealth. That's God's primary way to get wealth. Now, if you've fallen asleep on your couch, and you woke up at 3 a.m., and the TV was on, you've probably seen some of these commercials that talk about fast money, quick money, you can do the, you can get this money overnight, and uh, I, you know, learn how to make $107, $389, uh, 107000 in six months just by filling out Google searches and Yahoo searches, uh, $300 a day. You know, this is not God's way. And what I love about this, this one over here, a couple things I love about this one. One, this is what most of these ads say. Second line down, no education, and that explains what it says after that, or no special skillies required. You, you know, <laughs> apparently you don't need an education to be their designer either. But what I really loved about this ad is, that's, I think that's Joe Ryer modeling for this ad. <laughs> Joe, I didn't know you did this kind of moonlighting. I don't know where he is. <laughs> But no, I, listen, even, even if these were true, and I, I don't believe that most of them are, but even if these were true and you could make all this money really, really quickly, that's not God's way. God would not agree with this. Proverbs 13, 11 tells us, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. And I know many of us have read stories about 
you know, rags to riches stories about athletes, for example, professional athletes that just get millions of dollars all at once and blow it. And they're bankrupt now. God's, God's primary way for us to get wealth is by hard work, honest work, consistent work. And there are plenty of other examples that we could talk about under this point, but I'm not going to do that because a couple of weeks ago I preached a message on uh, being diligent and the sluggard from the book of Proverbs. So if you hadn't heard that uh, and you want to know more about what God thinks about working, you could listen to that message on the website. But the third thing under this point that God wants us to know about getting wealth, and this is, this is, these are the nails that, that hold all this framework that we've already built together. This is the glue that holds this hard work and this honest work and our responsibility together, and that is to trust God. Proverbs 10.22, the blessings of the Lord, the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Now, this isn't a, a prosperity gospel kind of verse. This isn't the kind of verse that you shouldn't be thinking about this verse when it says rich in a 21st century American kind of way. This verse isn't promising us billions and billions of dollars, but what this means really is that God is sovereign over any and all wealth that we receive. Now, comparatively speaking, we are a rich, rich nation compared to the rest of the world and the rest of the history of the world. A lot of times, people didn't even have enough food. They didn't know where they were going to get a bite to eat. Most of us, I think, have, if not all of us, have enough food. So uh, gaining wealth or gaining riches isn't necessarily living in multi-million dollar mansions with 20 million dollar jets but it's it's it is true that when we have enough or any excess god god is doing that it's from god's blessing that that comes that's the point of this proverb god gets the credit for whatever we have we we might think when we hear that Hey, I, I, work, I work hard every day for my wages. I go to work, I, I sweat, I work a lot. Where's my credit? But we need to remember that God even gives you the ability to do that. That's why we trust him. He gives you the ability, you and I the ability to work hard. Deuteronomy 18.8 says, 8.18 says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. This is such an important verse. This is so true. It's God that gives us the power to get wealth. What, what, the New Testament says, what do we have that we haven't re- received? If we haven't received it, why do we boast? We should never boast. We should always trust God because He is the deciding factor in, in how much wealth we have. He really is. 1 Samuel 2.7 says, The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. So I really don't care who signs your paycheck. It's God who puts the balance on there. It's God who provides whatever you've received. That's from God. So we need to trust him because he's the deciding factor. And I know that many of us have anxiety about finances. 
it's just a fact of life. I, I know, you know we may be considered a rich nation, but still, a lot of times, we have hard times getting by. And that's, that's one of the biggest reasons that we need to put our trust in God. Jesus said, Jesus said when he was uh, talking uh, to his disciples, uh, he said to those who were anxious about finances, about having enough, uh, birds don't have excess stored up in barns, he told them. He said, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And his point was clear. The birds look to God for their provision. And, and so should we, because he is the one ultimately who provides it. Now, this, there's a balance with hard work. We need to do our responsibility as well. God just doesn't just pick up the worms in the morning and throw them into the birds' nests every morning. The birds go out and get their worms. But at the same time, they come from God. All of our blessings come from God. And we trust him to provide for us. One of the ways that we trust him, the biggest way I think that we trust him, that we express our trust in his provision, is through prayer. Through prayer. We should always be praying, God, would you, would you provide for us? Jesus taught us to pray that way. Give us this day, Lord, our daily bread. Prayer, ex- prayer expresses our trust in him. And uh, I was talking to Bob Ryder recently, and, and Bob told me a story that really illustrates this. There was a time a few years back when he was a new, newer Christian, and Bob was a businessman, he had a business, and he needed $67 one morning to make payroll. He'd already given checks to his employees, and he was counting on a, a down payment that he was going to get, he thought he was going to get, at a job that he had looked at over in Shalakta. And Bob went to Shalakta, didn't get the down payment, driving back into town, and it hits him about at the YMCA, somewhere in that area. I don't have enough money to make payroll. I need $67. Newer Christian, he's thinking, what do I do? And he remembers what we're talking about. He begins to pray. He begins to ask God to provide. He acknowledges that God owns everything, and he can, he can do this. It's, it's that kind of simple faith that we need to remember to have when we're struggling. Well, about a mile and a half, Bob prayed fervently for God to provide this $67. He gets to the red light at 13th Street, and there's a, a truck coming toward him on the other side of the intersection stopped. And Bob looks up, and he noticed the driver of that truck motioning for him to pull over so that he could talk to him or something. So... So Bob cuts it through. Anyways, they, they, they pull off in a parking lot or something. And here it's a guy that Bob had done a job for or done a job for his son months ago. And the guy gets out and says, Bob, I am so sorry. I, I apologize. I've been carrying this check around in my wallet for like two or three months. I, I, just, I saw you there at the red light and I want to give it to you. Bob takes the check and it's $70. That's, God can do that. I've heard story after story of God providing when we need it. Now, you know, this, this is abused as well. God's not going to give you a Cadillac if you ask him for a Cadillac. But when we need something, God always comes through. I wish we had time to share. I've heard so many of these kind of stories. And why don't you, in care group this week, 
just take some time to share some of these stories of God's faithfulness in providing for you. Because this is so encouraging, this kind of thing. So, we've built our foundation. God owns it all. We're just stewards. We've talked about the wise way to get wealth. We, we're honest. We work hard. We trust God. Now, the third point is <clears throat> the wise way to use our wealth. And I shouldn't even say our wealth. Let, let me restate that. The wise way to use God's wealth. What does the Bible say about using wealth? What is it for? for Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Give us some insight here. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then... Your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with new wine. And the big principle here is that, that God should come first when it comes to our spending, and that we honor God with our wealth, that we honor Him. What does it mean to honor God with our wealth? Well, the word honor can be translated worship. And many times the same word in the Old Testament is translated either honor or worship. And, they, and even if you look up honor in our dictionary, it, one of the definitions is worship. And that's really what it means. God wants us to worship him with our wealth. He wants us, because it is his, to worship him with our wealth. So what does that mean? Well, it means money is a tool. And its primary purpose is for honoring God. Now, I know we use it to, to get food and shelter, and that's, that's, I believe, a part of honoring God. And I, I believe on the website there are, uh, I did four financial classes uh, a few months ago that went into more detail about this. And we don't have time to talk about all of it today, but you could look on the website and get some of those, um, those teachings. But honoring God with our wealth is worshiping Him. Here's a, here's a picture of how not to do this. Before we talk about exactly how to do it, here's a picture of how not to do this. In Malachi chapter 1, Malachi chapter 1, God expresses his desire to be honored. And the Old Testament priests here who were giving him gifts and offerings were going about it in a very, very wrong way. Let's, let's read this. Malachi 1 beginning with verse 6. God's response here is powerful. He says to them, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? 
See, what's going on here is God was furious with these priests because they were giving him their leftovers. They were giving him their, their lame animals. They were giving him their junk. And I love what God says. He says, present that to your governor. Will he accept you? I mean, think about it. If, if we had the governor or the president over to our place for dinner some evening, would we pull out like the leftover chicken nuggets and mac and cheese out of the fridge in the old plastic container and throw it on the table for him? No. No, we, we probably wouldn't do that. Well, how much more should we honor God with everything that he's given us? God deserves so much more. So how do we honor God with our first fruits? Well, in the Bible, the, the first fruits, as this, this passage says in Proverbs, we're reading to honor God with the first fruits of all your produce. The first fruits were just that, the first of their produce, the first of their harvest. They were an agricultural society, and they, they grew their fruits and vegetables. And when they gave God as an offering their first fruits, what that meant was they were, it was an act of faith. They were to do that to show God that they believed that he was going to continue to provide the rest for them. He was going to meet all of their needs. Now, when they just had a little bit of, of, of the first of the harvest that came up, that's all they had. And that was their first and their best. And I'm sure it would have been really, really tempting for them to think, I, I don't know how I'm going to get by. I mean, I don't even know if the rest of this stuff's going to grow. What if, what if a storm comes through and wipes it out? What if you know, a bunch of plague of grasshoppers comes through and eats it? I, I, I need to keep this for myself. God, whenever I get more, I'll save a little bit for you. But that's not how it worked. God wanted them to give him their first fruits as an act of worship to show him that they believe that he's going to provide. That's what that means. And God, God hasn't changed. We have passages in the New Testament that would mirror this. One of them that I love that tells us that God still blesses us when we honor him is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And it says, the, the Apostle Paul here was comparing giving to a farmer sowing his seeds. And, and before I read this, you know, this is where so many uh, prosperity preachers will begin to abuse Scripture. And, and we don't want to let that influence the way we hear this passage. We want to hear God's Word apart from all of our preconceived ideas because there's truth in it. So listen to 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7. He says, the point is this, and he's talking about giving here. You can read it all in context if you'd like later. But he, he says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And, and I'll just say, I, I, wanna, I want us to know that this giving that he's talking about, this isn't just putting money in the offering plate when it's passed around. 
if we had time to do a study on what the Lord says about giving, it's giving to his whole kingdom. Yeah, that includes your local church. But it talks a lot in the scriptures about giving to the poor, giving to those who are needy, brothers and sisters who are having a hard time making it, bearing one another's burdens in those ways. That's what God's talking about here. So I don't want you to think it's all about giving money to the church. That's a part of it. But it's just mainly about taking care of one another. That's what we're to do. We're to be generous givers. He goes on in verse 10. This is, this is really insightful. Listen to what he says in verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower, that's God, and bread for, for food will supply and multiply your seed for, for what? For putting into our pockets and spending on ourselves? No. For sowing. Listen to how this, how this just reciprocates the giving. For sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to... To what? How, how we answer this question really is really, really important. We'll be enriched. Oh, oh, if I give more, I'm going to get rich. Oh, and I'm thinking all kinds of selfish thoughts that I can do with that. Here's what it's for. You will be enriched in every way to, to be generous in every way. That's what God blesses us for. That's what God gives us access for. To be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. This, this is so important for us to get. Too often we assume that God entrusts us with more to increase our standard of living. But that's not why he does it. He entrusts us with more to increase our standard of giving, not our standard of living. I read a story about a, a businessman years ago who, I think he developed heavy equipment or something, but... He, he was very successful, and he was, he was giving away 90% of his income and living on 10% of it. And he said something like, I just keep shoveling it out, but God keeps shoveling it back in, and God has a bigger shovel. That's, that's a real-life application of this verse. But we've got to check our motives. See, this isn't going to work for us if our motive is to get rich and store all this up for ourselves and just, you know, blow it on all kinds of things. Our, God has a motive for us. We just looked at it. To be generous to others in every way. In every way. Like I said, it's not just about giving to your church. It's, a, it's about caring for one another. And that's one of the primary things that, that I think we as a church should do as well. And, and we have a benevolence fund for that. And we try to care for those who are legitimately in need. And so some of the offering that you put in the basket goes to that as well. So this is really important. So the question then is, how much should we give? How much should we give? Well, that's up to you. It says in this passage, according to how we've decided in our hearts. But... Many Christians, many Christians um, use what is called a tithe as their standard. They, that is, a tithe is just 10% of all of the income that you make. And, and many Christians tithe to their church. They give the first 10% with, in, the, in the first fruit mindset. 
of their income. Uh, that, and that, we'll talk about that in a moment. But here, he says in this verse in 2 Corinthians, that we should be generous givers. Generous givers. According to how much each has decided in his own heart. So, what is generous giving? How, how do we put a, a figure on that? Well, we can't. We can't put a figure on that. We can't say that generous giving is, is 10% of your income, or 20%, or 30 We can't. But if we look at, at any example in the New Testament of generous giving, whether we look at the believers in the book of Acts in the early church, whether we look at the Macedonian Christians who were giving out of their extreme poverty, whether we look at the poor old widow who gave her last two mites, generous giving is always sacrificial. It's never an excuse to just give God your leftovers. So what about tithing? What about giving 10% of your income? Well, first of all, I would never stand up here and say that if you don't give 10% of your income, you're going to lose your salvation and you're going to go to hell. Because if I said that, that would be telling you that you have to follow an Old Testament law and that would be called legalism. So I'm not going to say that you'll lose your salvation if you don't tithe. That wouldn't be true at all. But here, here's what we don't want to do. We don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because at the same time, there are many, many wonderful Old Testament principles that give us wonderful standards for living. That's one of the reasons we're teaching through this book of Proverbs. We don't believe the Old Testament is gone because we're not under the law that we shouldn't do anything in the Old Testament. I love what Randy Alcorn says about this. He says, for many years, wearing a seatbelt wasn't a legal requirement. But even then, it was still a good idea. Now, suppose the seatbelt law were repealed. Would I stop wearing mine? Would I tell my children or grandchildren, take off your seatbelts? We're not under the law, and we're not going to be legalistic. So no more seatbelts for us. Of course not. A good idea is a good idea, whether or not it's the law. So, I've done a lot of reading about this, and a lot of great Christian financial teachers, like Larry Burkett for one, calls tithing a great starting point. He calls tithing the training wheels, or the starting blocks for Christian giving. But, Whatever you decide in your heart, just remember that it all belongs to God. It's not like, it, it's not like God owns 10% of my bank account and I own 90% to, to do with whatever I please. God owns it all. And we honor Him when we realize that and when we submit to Him and when we follow His blueprints for using wealth. And I, I, I can testify, uh, along with my wife Jane, and I'm sure many of you can, that when, when I started putting God first in my budget, it, it changed everything. It really did. It was the difference between night and day, and it wasn't easy to do. It's not, it's not logical to think that when you only have a little bit, and you use it for God's kingdom and God's purposes, and help your neighbor out when they're struggling, and and, and, and provide to, to have a church building and, and give to missions or give to ministries. It's not logical to think that when you use your money for that and you only have a little bit, 
that, that you're going to have more. It's, it's not mathematical. It's, it's just, it doesn't seem right. That's walking by sight. But I am telling you, I will, I will testify that I don't know how God does it. It's not like He always makes a check appear in the mail. But He, he somehow blesses us. The tires last longer on our car. Maybe we were supposed to get, I don't know, 10,000, 2,000 miles out of them. We might get three, four times that much. The, the, the washing machine that should have broke years ago is still running. The home heating oil goes far, farther. God, God makes the dollar go farther. It's, it's kind of like in the Old Testament when that lady didn't have enough oil and Elijah, who was one of God's servants, came and, and, and wanted this oil and she's thinking, I don't have enough. And she gave it to him, but then God miraculously put more back in. It's, it's also like the Israelites walking for 40 years in the wilderness, trusting God, and he, he made it so their shoes, their sandals didn't wear out. I don't know how he does it. Maybe he'll give you extra money somehow. Maybe he'll just make things last longer, make the dollar go farther. But I promise you, it is fun. It is exciting to watch. It's awesome to watch God provide when we surrender our wealth to him. It really is. I know many of you can testify to that as well. So just to close, I want to tell you a story, a short story about this poor old spinster in England 100 years ago who, she's just a poor old lady, she gave 100 pounds to a guy named George Mueller who, who was a pastor and he had an orphanage, he had several orphanages. She gave it to him and it was basically everything she had and when, when George received this gift, he felt really bad. He knew she was poor. He knew she didn't have much. So he took it back, and he tried to return it to her. I love what she said. She said, now, Mr. Mueller, I don't want to contradict you, but the Lord Jesus gave his last drop of blood for me, and should I not give all that I have for him? She went on, in fact, I've got five more pounds that I want give you for the poorest members of your chapel she's right she has the right attitude she gets it Jesus gave his last drop of blood for us we have a generous generous God God gave his son for us Jesus Christ gave his life for us and not only that as if that's not enough that he gave us eternal life but he's storing up treasures in heaven for us he is a generous king. And there's really only one right response for us. And that's to honor him and worship him. Not with some of our wealth. Not with our leftovers. But with all of our wealth. All he's chosen to bless us with. Let's pray and ask him to help us to do that. Father, you are so kind. You are worthy to be worshipped with every area of our lives, every area. You have bought us with a price, Lord, and we are not our own. We are yours. Nothing is ours. It's all yours. Help us. This can be, this can be hard for some to have this perspective, but I pray that you would break through our hard hearts, that you would give us all this perspective, Lord, I don't pray this for any selfish motives, but because it is, I know the joy that comes with this. I know the freedom that comes with this. Lord, you are faithful 
to answer every promise in your word. And I, I trust you, Lord. We trust you. We pray for those who are struggling financially that you will prove yourself to them. And we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.